Thanks for listening to the RTS Washington Faculty Podcast. I'm Timo Sazo, Director of Admissions and Executive Producer and Editor of this podcast. In this episode, I ask Paul John about lessons learned in church planting. All right, Paul, I know that you are a pastor. You're the only real pastor here in the faculty podcast. And you planted a church about 10 years ago. And I'm sure that a lot of the people who listen to this, the millions of people who listen to our podcast, would be interested in learning a bit more about your experience as a church planter. Uh, the the positives and the negatives and what would you uh, what you would pass on to future church planters. So, want to share some thoughts with us? Yeah, Timo, thanks for having me. I have a draft of a book. It's called um, The First Seven Years, and um, there are plenty of books on church planting, uh, but I think that I wanted to write a book that focuses on just the first, you might say five to seven years. And there are a few reasons for it, but here I'll just list one. Um, and I'm trying to maybe bring up points that people might not usually come across in like other books. I think the first seven years are really important because for setting culture. I think in uh, the business world, culture is sometimes described in terms of like tacit knowledge, right? And the idea is that a lot of businesses can imitate the products and services of other businesses. And yet, even though the product and uh, service are similar in one business to another, at the end of the day, only one, seem, only one business seems to prosper. And I would say something analogous is true for church plants. Like, you know, um, uh, you know, no church planter is ignorant to, hey, you know, you got to have a good Sunday service, small group ministry, uh, you know, outreach, right? But why is it that some churches uh, still, if I can use the term, loosely succeed while others do not, right? And that opens up a whole can of worms, like what does success mean and so forth. But I would argue that there's the cultural component that cannot be copied, Right. And so if I had to give a suggestion um, to church planters, it would be to really take their time in thinking about what they want their culture to really be like and not use something generic like, oh, gospel-centered, right? Like, again, that's a given. But what do they really want their culture to be like? And then what will it take to form that culture? And that's why, again, like the title of my book is like the first seven years in terms of, I think during those seven years, you have this chance to uh, make a culture and then to solidify it and then to preserve it. So, I mean, that's something I would suggest for church planters to think about. How should church planters think about culture changes? Because uh, I'm not a church planter, but I heard stories of, you know, the church was a certain way when it started, it was sweet. It was, you know, very intense fellowship. And then the church grew and then the staff grew and then kind of like the, you know, using the, the analogy of the trellis and the vine, the trellis just got big. And then just the, the vine um, kind of changed by, you know, by necessity. So uh, have, have you seen that happen in the church and what has stayed the same? What, um, what has, shifted in your experience as a church planter? 
Yeah, Timo, that's a great question again. And there's so many parts to it. Um, inevitably, the church has to not, maybe the term I wouldn't use is change, even though that's the more popular term used by people. Oh, the church, I feel is different, it's changed, and I don't feel like I need to, I can be here anymore. I think the more fitting term would be evolve. And what I mean by that is like, let's say, you know, you get married. And so your dynamic as a married couple without children will be very different from when you have children. And then, you know, as your children, as your family grows, right, in number, and then as your children get older, inevitably the dynamics will change, right? And so I'm trying to find like, I guess, a nice way to fit this, but sometimes I do think that you know, people who complain about change, some just want a kind of um, ingrown church where it's, um, it's just what it always was. And I do think that that's not uh, fitting with, you know, the trajectory of the gospel where God is uh, in a dynamic work of redemption, where he's bringing people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to his family, right? And so it will inevitably evolve as the family grows, right? Uh, and so that kind of change you try to like pastor people through, but um, it's sort of a related aside. And I talk about this a lot in my book is uh, I think too many planters and pastors are too concerned with retaining members. And I know this sounds outrageous, right? Like, because, you know, sometimes um, you know, people will argue, do anything and everything in order to retain people. I don't think that's the case. When you read the New Testament, uh, that's not the case at all, right? And um, I think if, you know, people want to leave because it's not what it used to be um, in a bad sense, then, you know, you have to be okay. I think one of the most important things for pastors and planters to learn is when is it okay to release members or even to disciple, I mean, discipline members, you know, um, so that they're not members anymore. And so I would, I would say for that segment of the population, I think you have to try to pastor them, but then if they leave, they leave and it's okay. It's okay. You know, but you know, with others, if the change is negative, let's say like, for instance, the preaching used to be very challenging, right? But then as the church has grown, it's become more, if I can use the phrase, uh, seeker friendly, then, you know, th those kind of change you, just you want to pay attention to. So it's all like, I, I guess to your question, it depends on what kind of change people have in mind. Yeah. And I guess it makes me think that part of the, you know, you're in the initial question that I asked and in your response, you talked about that the church planter should focus on setting a culture. I guess part of that culture needs to needs to include this idea that the church will grow and things will evolve mm -hmm. and you know there will be growing pains to to the ministry and you know there will be some costs involved oh, in, in the work mm -hmm. of ministry uh mm -hmm. and at some point even there will be kind of like dividing and conquering because you know it's necessary for for further church planting um or just you know for just wisdom on, on how to lead a church um, mm -hmm. so, so yeah, I think the, the setting, the culture must, must include that. Um, so what I'm thinking now about the, the kind of person who, who plants, you know, there's different models, there's different approaches, different things that people say that a church planter should be, 
what would you say are the, the three main things, the three main characteristics uh, beyond the, you know, passionate about the gospel and in a good, you know, preacher and teacher? What would you say are some necessary qualities that a church planter should have? Yeah, Timo, you keep asking all these great questions. And I do have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, I would begin by saying that, let me answer by saying what church planters maybe should not feel pressure to be like. Uh, I think that there's this um, assumption or belief that, okay, if I want to be a planter, I need to be extroverted. I need to be like charming and uh, charismatic and all of the above. I mean, you know, when I began my church, right, um, my core team comprised, I think, 90 to 95 percent introverts, right? And they weren't exactly the most charming people. And, you know, we all laugh about this, everyone on the team, because, you know, we're self-aware in this sense. And I remember a a very, I think, well-intentioned pastor uh, said to me, hey, Paul, you know, there's no way your church plant is going to succeed because you don't really have any cool people. You don't have any, like, um, uh, charming people. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, there was, I don't think it was said in a mean-spirited way. I understood what he was saying. But, see, I think there's that belief there, right? And I don't think that that's the case. Now, you know, part of our discussion relates to what we, how we define success, right? But I, I think that really a church planter needs to be like mature, mature. And this is why I personally am very wary. You know, I see a lot of uh, either young pastors or pastors that are new to the ministry. You know, church planting has become sort of the, um, you know, cool thing to do in ministry. And I generally advise you should not plant generally. You know, we want to be careful not to go beyond the Bible, but I generally say you should not plant until you have at least like 10 years of solid ministry under your belt, right? And so when I see a lot of these new planters uh, go out um, and they go to like these church assessments, like, you know, assessments are, I don't think honestly, they're the most accurate measures in the world. I think you need like 10 years at least of just getting like a lot of maturity, you know, like, because this is the reality. When I say maturity, maybe I can just focus on this one attribute, right? And then expand it in three ways. You know, through maturity, you do actually develop thick skin. You do. And um, I think that you need to be very thick-skinned while being gentle and loving in ministry. And the reality is that that thick skin develops through hardships in ministry. And, um, you know, I see so many, um, to be honest, charming, charismatic uh, pastors. They're, they're snowflakes, you know. Externally, they can look very charming, but if you give them one feedback on their message or their tendency in ministry, then they get discouraged and all of the above. Um, I think related to maturity, second is this, you want to have someone that has a long-term view of ministry, right? And again, you don't meet many pastors and uh, planters like that, like who think about ministry in terms of like seven to 10 year chunks, right? There's this great quote by um, an elder in the DC area. And he said this, um, paraphrasing, but he basically said, uh, too many pastors, planters overestimate what they can do in a short time and underestimate what they can do over a long time. And so I think that that can only come with maturity, having that perspective. And the last thing related to maturity is, you see, I think when you plant, you have to be very wise about people. 
right? Very, about your staff, about members, just, you know, like, uh, and you can't get that without maturity. You know, like you can't, you have to understand how to read people, how to respond to people. And so that's why I would argue that a church planter needs to be uh, mature, right? And um, that doesn't quite fit the mold because church planting is usually synonymous with like some entrep entrepreneurial activity. And generally entrepreneurial activities are associated with young, hip, energetic people. But I, I actually think that most church plants don't do well because um, you need more mature um, pastors who are engaged in the work of church planting. Those are great thoughts, Paul. If you don't mind, can I ask you about things that you've, that you've made mistakes on or areas that you've done, you've made mistakes in ministry that you perhaps are still dealing with or that you've, you know, learned from? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and Timo, we could do like 10 podcasts <laughs> on this. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not, I'm not trying to feign humility. I mean, uh, I had done a lot of ministry before planting, but even then I did make mistakes. Thankfully, I, I think some of the bigger mistakes I made, I were prior to planting, but I definitely made uh, some mistakes. And so in no particular order, you know, I think for instance, I think about one exchange where the recipient was actually very gracious. He's still at the church, but he could have responded by just leaving the church or, you know, but basically we had a difference and I had thought about it for a long time. And then I wrote him an email sharing my thoughts. Right. And I think that that's a mistake. Uh, generally, like this is so obvious that I laugh at like how foolish I was in doing this when you are trying to communicate something that is personal and pastoral. Right. Uh, versus just a quick administrative note. Hey, you know, our meeting's next week. It should not be done via email. And you see, I went into the email thinking I had um, been thoughtful and so therefore wanted to lay out my thoughts clearly because I tend to be clear when I write. But, you know, when I look back, the email was read differently. And um, I think that's like a mistake that I tell all my interns and I tell pastors in general, whenever you're shepherding someone, try not to email. And uh, that can lead to so much misunderstanding. Uh, so I would say that was um, a mistake. I think that when I look back also, uh, and this might've been unique to New City, but um, I think we were we had very good intentions in many instances, many good intentions, right? Uh, whether it was the way we recruited and um, tried to disciple interns or the way we handled our budget presentation. But, you know, I think back at when Jesus said, be as innocent as doves, but as uh, sharp as serpents, right? I think that in some of our good intentions, uh, we were naive about the results. And so for instance, we did have like, um, when, we did, when we initially had our annual vision meeting, our budget was like so transparent to the T. I mean, like you knew where every single dime was going. And our mentoring church actually took us aside and said, you should not confuse transparency with integrity. And like the example that uh, one mentor gave was, you know, for instance, uh, parents won't lie to their children, 
but especially wealthy parents won't disclose to their children like how much like money they have, right? And there's something analogous where they're saying you should be always integrous about your budget presentation, but you have to realize that sometimes giving too much information provides opportunity for gossip and all of the above. And I think it was true also for you know our desire to help people. Um, I I think New City did air, and we still do air on helping. Uh, people who tend to be marginalized or, you know, struggle with unique um, challenges. And I, I think the intention there was very good. I, I wonder if there was some form of, uh, I don't know, Messiah complex or savior complex. I don't know um, exactly, but I think those things have definitely come back to bite us as well. And so when I look back, I think we could have been wiser um, but that, that sort of comes with experience as well. That's helpful, yeah. Paul. Thanks for sharing. And I'm sure if we had more time, we could go deeper into, into the things you've mentioned and explore new areas, but we'll, we'll leave that for another episode. Sounds good, Timo. Thanks again for having me.